Yo, 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 what up? Welcome. Welcome to episode 76. We're three quarters of the way there to episode 100. This is now, we're starting the, basically we're on the final straightaway, the final quarter to episode 100. This is episode 76 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. Um, I rebranded myself uh, recently. I created some new cover art because as you saw in one of my latest YouTube videos from a couple weeks ago, um, I got my hair cut and so, and I also, you know, trimmed the beard down, shaved it down and it was kind of just redefining myself. And so it was time to update the cover art. It took me about a week or two to do it. Um, but I wanted to make sure that it was good and that it was representative of me and just kind of how I wanted to represent the show. So that's, there's some new cover art out. It's on, it's on my Twitter. It's updated on my Twitter. It's updated on my Facebook um, and I've upla- um, I've updated my SoundCloud page. And so now every time you're listening to an episode, or well, when you listen to one of the newer episodes, um, all the ones from here on out, they will have this cover photo. I'm pretty sure that if you listen to an older one, it'll have the, the previous picture, I think. Um, unless you're listening on maybe Apple Podcasts, but if you're listening on um, SoundCloud, then you'll see the previous picture. Regardless, I rebranded myself. I like it. Let me know what you think. Um, it's on Twitter. Like I said, I posted it. So really excited about that. And I'm excited about this, these next 25 episodes to episode 100. Got a great show for you guys today. I'm going to start things off with some NBA. Um, so we talked about last episode, the Russell Westbrook trade. Russell Westbrook was traded to uh, the Houston Rockets from the OKC Thunder, kind of just after Paul George was traded to the Clippers and, and all that unfolded, and it was the second superstar superstar that left Russell Westbrook in the past four years. I think OKC kind of felt like they owed it to Russell Westbrook to let him go where he wanted to go and kind of give him a new start and put him in a better situation. And really, he's everything that Oklahoma City represents. He has been the man there since they've been a team and he saved the franchise, kept them relevant and kept them uh, playoff relevant when KD left. Um, just a, tons of ups and downs, emotions, uh, the triple-double uh, seasons and, and things like that. Um, he moves on to Houston and then Chris Paul got sent back to OKC in return and it was believed at first that Chris Paul was not going to play a game in a Oklahoma City uniform. They were going to try and flip him right away as soon as they could, see what the market was for him. And I was thinking that some kind of playoff team looking for a veteran, looking to put them over the top, would maybe want to go after CP3. But if you think about it, his contract is really bad for really his level of production over the last of four seasons. He's not been a great player. He's very injury prone, doesn't get along well with superstars. I mean, we saw that with Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan didn't really get along with, especially DeAndre Jordan didn't get along with them. Um, it's been reported that he doesn't get along with James Harden. So he's gone there and now he's all alone in, in Oklahoma city, uh, which may be best for him and his personality. I don't know, but, uh, I think the Oklahoma City Thunder thought that they would get 
something for Paul George or Paul George, Chris Paul on the market, and teams aren't aren't biting. They're not. I don't think they're willing to take on that contract because in his final year of his deal, he's going to be making $44 million. And we all know that Chris Paul is not going to be the healthiest of players in four years. He's not going to be the same player. Well, not in four years, but after a couple more years, he's just not going to be the same guy. And the injuries, I think, are just going to get worse and worse for him. And he's going to be less and less available and I don't think teams are going to want to buy into that. They may, if if he was on the last year of his deal or if he had two years left, I think teams would be a lot more trigger happy on this and, and jump all over it and try to get Chris Paul. But right now it's, he's got three years left on his deal. It's that That last year he's making $44 million. No team is going to want to do that. Um, and a lot of people may think, well, Russell Westbrook's making, he's going to be making over $40 million at the end of his deal. Why would you rather Russell Westbrook over Chris Paul? Well, I just named a few reasons. Uh, Chris Paul is older. He's a little more injury prone and he's just not the same player. Russell Westbrook is right now in the middle of his prime and some may believe he's probably going to start to decline a little bit, but I think right now he's in the middle of his prime um, as he's approaching 30 and I mean, he's still a great player. Um, so you have to be seeing how he fits in D'Antoni's system with James Harden. I think he's going to have to sacrifice the point guard position and kind of be an off ball player and get better off the ball um, and be kind of a, a slasher instead of what he already, he's a slasher with the ball, but he's got to be a slasher without it and kind of move without it. And he's going to sacrifice for James Harden because that's his team. But um, but that's why I would take Russell Westbrook over Chris Paul is because he's in his prime, he's younger, he's better, more explosive. And his contract, he's still going to be a solid player by the end of his contract. He's not going to be like what Chris Paul is now, kind of a shell of himself. I don't think Chris Paul is that great anymore. Um, I don't know what teams would be willing to take his contract. I think maybe the 76ers would want to make a deal, um, and pair him up with Ben Simmons and kind of let Ben Simmons run the show a little bit. And Chris Paul plays off ball. I don't, I don't know. The 76ers is really the only team that I can think of that would want to go after Chris Paul. There's no other teams in my mind that that would want him. I I know I wouldn't. The contract just it scares me. If he was making maybe ten million dollars less in that final year, maybe if he was making thirty four instead of forty four, I would be more inclined. But only a little more inclined. I just don't think he's that good of a player anymore, and I don't think he's worth that kind of money. He's not worth. He's not a max player. He just really isn't. Um. It's my belief that the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to start the season with Chris Paul. They're probably going to keep him, um, and they'll probably have to reevaluate their options with him by the trading deadline, um, because that's when 
that's when trade talks are going to start heating up again. You're not going to really see many more trades this offseason, I don't think. And you certainly don't see them during the season until right up until, you know, within a month of the deadline. So I just don't see a trade happening right now. Chris Paul is going to start the season with OKC. And that'll be his team there. And then we'll see where what teams would want to make a push for him come the trade deadline because I don't I think the Oklahoma City Thunder are gonna have to wait until then. Um on a similar note, uh kind of a, a trade, um we all remember that Kevin Durant chose to sign with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, and so basically what the Warriors did is they signed D'Angelo Russell or they signed it. They signed Kevin Durant and traded him to the Nets for D'Angelo Russell, um, who got a max deal. Um, and it was believed early on as well that the Warriors were signing D'Angelo Russell just to trade him later on um, around the trade deadline or maybe even before the season started. And now that's looking like it's not going to be the case. For a different, for just a different reason. It's not there's not that there's no market for D'Angelo Russell because I think there is league wide interest uh, in D'Angelo Russell, especially with the Timberwolves, Phoenix. Um, those are the top teams in mind that would want him. Those would be the front runners. But um, it's not that there's no interest because there's definitely interest. It's that Golden State may not want to get rid of him. Bob Myers. And the front office in Golden State said that they didn't sign D'Angelo Russell just to flip him right away or just to get rid of him, um, which I, b- I actually believe because they signed him to a max deal. And a lot of people didn't think that D'Angelo Russell was worth the max because he's not in his prime yet. A lot of people thought he would kind of go around that $28 million, $29 million range instead of that 32 33 So... He got the max in Golden State, and Golden State's not going to just draw out the max to anybody. Uh, they obviously believe that D'Angelo Russell's going to fit well with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson when he comes back, um, and Draymond Green. Um, I think any player who's put in Golden State's dis- system and plays alongside Steph Curry is going to be a, a great player and a better player. I mentioned it before. D'Angelo Russell is just one percentage off of Clay Thompson and catch and shoot threes. Um, 40% for Clay, 39% for D'Angelo Russell. Um, I also think it allows Steph Curry to play off the ball a little more. You let D'Angelo run the offense, um, bring the ball up the floor. It allows Steph Curry to just run around, do his thing. And I think that's actually very, very beneficial for the Warriors because it gives them a, a terrific ball handler um, who can shoot, create his own shot, create for others, playmaker. I think it's perfect for what the Warriors want to do. And I... I wouldn't flip D'Angelo Russell if I were the Warriors because I think I think they're going to be a great pairing him and Steph Curry while Clay's out, and when Clay comes back in January or February, I think you could start all three together. You could have Steph, uh, D'Lo, Clay Thompson at the three, Draymond at the four, and then um, presumably. Willie Colley Stein or Kevon Looney at the five, probably Kevon Looney. Uh, I think that's a, I think that's a good lineup. I think a lot of people are counting the Warriors out and I wouldn't. Um, do I think they're going to win a championship? Uh, more than likely not. I would say no, but 
they're a team that's going to be in the playoffs. They're going to be competing probably for the Western Conference Finals. They're going to be one of a handful of teams that are trying to get there who I think can get there. I don't think they're a championship-level team. I think they're just too gassed, and they've lost too much. They lost Andre Iguodala. They, they traded him away. They waived Sean Livingston, which I was really surprised at. Um, they've just lost a lot of their depth, and so and they're just going to have to fill out that bench some way. I thought they would have done it this offseason with what was out there, but they, they decided to go after D'Angelo Russell. And yes, it may be great fit star power wise, but just as far as kind of filling out the roster and the bench, they didn't do a great job of that. So I think they're still a great team, but they're nowhere near the team they were last year or over the four seasons prior, just because they've lost so much bench depth. And I just don't think they're they're the same team, Uh, but I do, I do still think they're one of the, four or five best teams in the league today. I genuinely believe that. Um, Now, I want to shift gears to this. Um, LeBron, uh, when AD came to the Lakers, when that trade was finalized, LeBron decided he was going to gift the number 23 to Anthony Davis. Um, And then LeBron was going to reclaim his old number, that he wore in Miami, number six. Um, there was a picture LeBron had on Instagram of Anthony Davis holding a number 23 Lakers jersey. with It was even his name printed on the back of it. Um, Davis on the back of it. And it seemed like that you know this was going to be a thing and LeBron was going to be number six, AD number 23. Everyone's happy. Everyone has a number they want to wear. And... Um, I didn't realize this. Um, the NBA has a deadline for when numbers can be changed. I believe it's, I believe it was actually sometime in March or maybe it was May. It was, it was an M month and it was earlier this year. So it had to have been March or May. Um, I, I want to say I saw March, um, but who knows? But anyways, the NBA has a deadline because Nike makes all the all of their jerseys for the NBA teams, and there's a deadline for jersey number selections because Nike has to make these jerseys uh, and get them printed and, and things like that in time for when they sell these jerseys. And um, basically, that bed, that deadline had passed, and so the NBA was like, "We don't care if you change the numbers, but you've got to." Uh, you've got to talk to Nike about it and see if they're willing to do it because there's money at stake, which I completely didn't think about and it totally makes sense. And Nike said no. And that, I mean, it makes a, it makes a ton of sense because they've made, they've made so many LeBron jerseys, LeBron number 23 jerseys over the past year. It's the number one highest selling jersey in the NBA right now. To change LeBron's to number six, and then make Anthony Davis 23, you're going to have to get rid of all of your LeBron jerseys that are on the shelves because right now they keep restocking and restocking and restocking because of the most popular jersey right now. And Nike would lose a ton of money. Now, granted, they would probably make it all back in a blink of an eye, but they probably just don't want to lose the money to begin with, which totally makes a ton of sense. And I, I don't 
I don't fault them at all for that. And so LeBron is now stuck with number 23 for the next season. Um, and so Anthony Davis had to pick a new number and he went back all the way to his elementary school days for this number. I believe he said it was kindergarten. Um, he decided to, um, go with number three. So instead of 23, he's number three. And that's going to be a top grossing Jersey, uh, next year in the NBA. And, um, who knows, maybe Anthony Davis may want to stick with number three after next season and just keep number three for the rest of his Laker career. I, I don't know if that's what something he would want to do, but we'll see how it plays out. I, I think that's interesting because once you wear a number for a year, it would be kind of weird just to switch it back, but he'd be switching back to the number that he's worn for the rest of his career up until uh, the season prior. Uh, I don't know. I probably sound confusing right now, but LeBron's not going to be number six. He's going to be number 23. AD's not going to be 23. He's going to be number three. Um, so that's going to be interesting. And I thought that was just interesting because LeBron talked about gifting it to AD and he just wasn't able to do so. Um, so that's delayed for a year. And we'll see if that gift is actually going to be like if that, if that swap's going to be finalized in a year's time, or if they're going to just continue to wear the jerseys they're wearing now, 23 and three, uh, we'll see. But I just thought it was really interesting. Um, but now with all the the free agency dust settled, all the trades settled, um, I want to do the Ford food chain again. Uh, but instead of top 10 NBA duos, which I did in the last episode, I want to do the top 10 NBA teams after free agency. Now, I do have an honorable mention. that This is the team that I would probably consider number 11. But... I feel pretty strong about this top 10 and you could honestly like the top four, you could probably put it any way you like it. This is just my take on it. This is what I feel is the best. Um, my honorable mention number 11 is the Indiana, Indiana Pacers. Um, they brought back, uh, they're going to be bringing back Victor Oladipo in around December or January from that, um, that quad ligament that he, ruptured last season um he's going to be coming back um it's going to take him a while to get reacclimated and, and in playing shape but he was tremendous last year and once you get him back in shape he'll be great um they they signed malcolm brogdon in free agency a terrific young player shooter um you can plug him in at the two guard right now they brought in jeremy lamb who's a great shooter um they lost their veteran point guard darren collison in free agents or not in free agency but to retirement um so He's gone, but you have Miles Turner, who is a young big man that continues to grow. Um, I just really like the young players they have right now. They did lose uh, Bohan Bogdanovich, but I mean, he, he was a good player in their system, but I still think they're a, a pretty good team. Number 11 on my list. Um, they're not going to be great to start the season, but once they get Oladipo back and all those pieces kind of fall back into place, I think they're going to be a really good team and a formidable uh, opponent for anyone in the Eastern Conference in the playoffs. Number 10 now officially starting the Ford food chain is the Boston Celtics. Um, I don't think they're as good of a team as they were last year uh, with Kyrie Irving and Al Horford. Um, and they lost Terry Rozier, so they lost three key 
pieces to their team. But Kemba Walker is um, a really, really good consolation prize to to Kyrie Irving. Is about as good of a consolation as you can get. Um, I wouldn't even call him a poor man's Kyrie Irving because he's really just like barely even a tear down from Kyrie. Um, he had a really good year last year in, in Charlotte, and I think running his own team in a bitter, bigger market in Boston, I think it's going to be great. Um, Ennis Cantor is a significant downgrade from Al Horford, but um, still a very good scoring big man who can rebound really well. Uh, just a good presence, really plays with a chip on his shoulder, is very, uh, very, got a nice kind of aggressive attitude, sticks up for his teammates, and that's really respectable, and I like that about him. Not Al Horford, but he's still a nice piece. Um, and then Jason Tatum, I think him, I think Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum, um, I think are going to be a pretty good duo. They didn't make my list on the Ford food chain last week, but I would have had them around that 11 or 12 range. Um, I think they're going to be solid. Um, they're not going to be as good as those other 10 that I listed. Sorry, Jordan. Um, I just, I just don't think that they're, uh, in the top 10 for me. Um, but I could be wrong when the season starts and they could light up the world, but, um, I think they're going to be solid. I think they're going to be a decent team altogether. Um, they're going to be around a four or five seed in the Eastern Conference, probably. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, may- maybe a three seed if uh, they really turn it on. But um, that's number ten. Number nine. I've got the Portland Trailblazers. Um, I think they would be a lot higher on my list. They would probably be, be closer to number five. Um, like in that top five range and the top five are really my, my championship level teams. I think Portland would be near the, near the top of that. Um, if they just get one more scoring big man, they traded for Hassan Whiteside, but he's not a scoring big man. He's not a guy who can step out and hit a three. He's a shot blocking rim protector, a guy you can throw lobs to. Um, and he's nowhere near as good as he used to be a couple years ago. Um, still a solid player, but I think I expect them to flip Hassan Whiteside at the trading deadline, and I really think they should go after a guy like Kevin Love from Cleveland, bring him in, pair him up with CJ and Dame. That would make them a probably top five or six team in the NBA, in my opinion, if they added another scoring big man. Uh, because they lost Anis Kanter. Um, they're going to get Narkic back, which is going to be huge for them. But um, I think they just lost some scoring, especially in the front court. Um, they lost Mo Harkless, Alpha Rukaminu. They they don't have those guys anymore. So they just really need a solid scoring big man to plug in there. And I think once they do that, then they'll catapult into that top five or six. Um, I feel bad about having them at nine because they were in the Western Conference Finals last year. And I, I really honestly do feel bad about it. But I just, they, they lost a lot of offensive production in the front court. And so they're going to need to add that back. I think Kevin loves the guy to, to add. Once they do that, they'll be in the top five for me. Uh, number eight, I've got the Houston Rockets. I think Russell Westbrook is a it's an upgrade from Chris Paul, but I'm not sure if the fit is going to be great or not because they're two ball-dominant guys, uh, and Russell Westbrook is far more ball-dominant than Chris Paul uh, is and, and was. And I'm not sure if Russell Westbrook is going to be able to sacrifice the point guard position to James Harden because James Harden, he's, 
He's a two-guard body, but he plays like a point guard. It's James Harden's team. It's James Harden's offense. Russell Westbrook is going to have to learn to play off the ball, without the ball, slash to the hoop. And they're playing for Dan Tooney, who has a kind of a weird system. Um, I think they're. I think they would be a good duo. I think they're going to be really exciting. But it's all about come playoff time. Playoff time, whether or not these two can rise to the occasion, because that's been the story with both of them um, separately. Is that they they both can't play well in the playoffs. They they have tons of highlights and they play amazing in the regular season and they're MVP caliber players. And then they just they run out of gas in the playoffs. And now you have both of them on the same team. I don't know what that's going to look like. That's why I have them at eight. I think they're going to be immensely talented. They still got they they managed to keep their core together of Eric Gordon, PJ Tucker, Clint Capella. That's that's going to be a nice team. We'll just see how it looks come playoff time. I'm concerned, but we'll see. Uh, number seven, I've got the Denver Nuggets. I think Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are two very good players who play very well together, and they're one of my favorite duos in the league. And they really didn't lose a lot in free. They didn't lose anything in free agency. And the one major thing that they're gaining is experience. They're gaining playoff experience. They they pushed the, pushed the Portland Trailblazers to seven games in the in the West semis, and it came up just a, just a hair short. I think they didn't lose any any players, and they're gaining valuable experience for their younger stars. And Jokic is an MVP caliber caliber player, and when you have an MVP caliber player on your team, you're going to be in the mix for one of the top teams in the conference every year, playing for a championship, playing for the West Conference, Western Conference Finals, or the Eastern Conference Finals. I think this is going to be a good team with a great duo, and they're going to be getting um, uh, some guys back um, from injury. Uh, they did lose Isaiah Thomas, but he didn't really play much last year. Um, but they're going to be bringing back um, the guy they drafted last year at the very end of the lottery. Um, gosh, I can't think of the name right off the top of my head. It's literally on the tip of my tongue. I can see him in my brain. Um, gosh, it's killing me. Michael Porter Jr. Um yeah, so I, I couldn't think of it right off the top of my head. Um, but he's he was a really great scorer in high school. He was a highly touted uh, recruit. Didn't play a lot at Missouri in his freshman season just because of injury. Um, he sat out all of last season because of injury. But I think getting him back, you're going to get him valuable experience. And I think he can be uh, a really good player. So um, Nuggets... They didn't lose anything. They can only go up. So, number six, I've got the Philadelphia 76ers. I think they are the second best team in the Eastern Conference currently. Um, And I think they're a far more balanced team than they were last year. I think losing Jimmy Butler, letting him walk, just not losing him, but just letting him go, um, I think was the best thing for the team uh, because it allowed them to become more balanced. Um, They added Al Horford, who's going to be a tremendous mentor to... Joel Embiid, um, Josh Richardson is a solid two guard who you can plug in, um, in the in the void of Jimmy Butler. Tobias Harris can get some more shots this year. Um, I think it's a I think it's going to be a pretty solid starting lineup. That might be the best 
starting five in the Eastern Conference um, with Ben Simmons at the one, Josh Richardson at the two. Um, you have um, Joel Embiid at the four, Al Horford at the five. Um, and then you, you, you'd have Tobias Harris at the three. So I think that's a really balanced lineup, and I really like what they have there. Um, second best team in the Eastern Conference in my eyes to, to start the season. Um, number five, I think, are my championship-level teams. Uh, the, the, these top five are definitely the, the five teams that I would that I think can push through the, the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference Finals and, and win a championship. Um, number five on my list might be a surprise. I've got the Utah Jazz. I think they made tremendous upgrades this offseason. They they traded for Mike Conley, who's a great veteran point guard. Very underrated. I think one of the most underrated point guards uh, in the last 10 years. Um, and he's still really good. And I think he's going to be great for Donovan Mitchell, uh, mentor-wise and leadership-wise. Um, they, they brought in Bogdanovich from the Pacers who's a tremendous floor spacer, can really spread it out um, and just add some shooting. Um, in doing so, they had to they had to drop Derek Favors, but Derek Favors is kind of more of a traditional power forward. He's not a, he's not a stretch four. Um, can hit the mid-range a little, but he's not your traditional. He's not what you would, con- you would want in a four-man in today's NBA. Um, so that lineup in, in Utah, you've got Mike Conley at the one. Donovan Mitchell would move to the two guard because I think he would fit a lot better there. He always seemed like a two guard um, before Mike Conley got there. Um, then you have Joe Ingles at the three, who's a good, uh, is a really good shooter, lefty. Uh, Bogdanovich at the four. And then you have Rudy Gobert at the five, who's the reigning defensive player of the year. So I think that's just, I think that's just a great team. Uh I love that starting five and they're number five on my list. And I think they're a team that can compete in the Western conference for a championship. Um, and the West is certainly wide open this year. There's probably eight to 10 teams that can compete for a playoff spot. It's really remarkable. Um, number four, this is where I've got the golden state warriors. I think a lot of people would have them lower than that. Um, but I, th- I still think they're a really good team. They're, they lost a lot of bench depth, which concerns me. I don't think they're going to be as good of a team. But D'Angelo Russell, I think, is going to be a great fit with uh, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson when he gets back. Uh, like I said earlier, I just think I think anyone who plays with Steph Curry uh, is going to fit. It allows Steph Curry to play off the ball more, run around, get shots. D'Angelo Russell is a great playmaker. And can create on his own, create his own shot. And I think you can play small ball and have D'Lo, Clay, and uh, and Steph Curry on the court at the same time. Um, now, if the Warriors decide to trade D'Angelo Russell come the trade deadline, we'll see what they get out of him. But I think it. I, I think those three would be a tremendous fit together. And imagine what they could do to come playoff time. I, I would be really interested to see it. Don't think they're a. I don't think they would win the championship, but just because of their experience, um, and things like that, I th- I think they've got to be in the top four, top five, and I've got them at four. Um, number three, I've got the Los Angeles Lakers, um, the second best duo, in my opinion, in the NBA. Um, they'll probably be the best over the course of the whole season. Um, 
I posted my Ford food chain on Facebook and Twitter um, last week and got a couple of responses on Facebook. One was from my dad uh, who thought that, that he just made, uh, he had different a different order just based on injuries and stuff and the same with um, someone else who commented, uh, Joey Hoover, who is a great, uh, is a good friend of mine. So he, they both thought that um, Russell Westbrook and James Harden should have been higher. Um, and they thought with Clay Thompson and, um, and Kevin Durant's injuries that they should have, they should be not necessarily disqualified, but just lower on the list, um, which I totally understand those points and those are valid points and I totally get it. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. I was just looking at it from the standpoint of just total talent, just what's going to be out there on the floor when they do play together. Um, that's why I had Steph and Clay at the top, and that's why Katie and um, and Kyrie were, I think, four on my list. Um, but I totally understand the um, the availability and the health, and how you would factor that in there. Um, I just didn't use that. I just kind of looked at overall talent and. Um, and things like that. Um, but yeah, so Joey Hoover had LeBron and AD at number one, Katie and Kyrie dropping until at least next year, just because of injury. And then he had Harden and Westbrook higher. Um, and then my dad had LeBron and AD, Kawhi and Paul George, Harden and Westbrook, uh, Simmons and Embiid, and then Giannis and Middleton in his top five. Um, so yeah totally get it um, but I'm kind of getting away from my main deal here um, I think LeBron and AD are going to be the best duo next season just because of the injuries and I think they've got a really good roster I think they've actually got a lot of depth which a lot of people didn't think they would be able to do just because they they held out so long for Kawhi and they lost a lot of those big name role players early on but they were able to bring in guys like Quinn Cook Jared Dudley um, Boogie Cousins and Danny Green and Rajon Rondo, JaVale McGee, and just kind of fill out that roster. KCP, Avery Bradley. They've got a lot of bench depth, good depth, and they've got the star power. I think they have the most complete roster. Um, it may not be the best, but I think it's the most complete. And I think it's got the most upside come playoff time. A lot of guys with playoff experience. Um, but it, it may not be the best roster in people's eyes right now. Um, and it's not the best team in my eyes right now. But I think it can be if all the pieces fall into the puzzle the right way. Um, but I really like what they've done this offseason, given that they waited for so long for, for Kawhi to go across the street to the Clippers. And I, th- I think they're going to be a solid team, um, more than solid, a great team competing for a championship. Um, number two is the best team in the East, the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I don't like that they lost Brogdon, um, and I think they overpaid Chris Middleton a little bit because I don't think he's a max-level guy. Even I think he took a little less than the max, but I don't think he's worth that much. Um, but 
I think they're it showed really what they were prioritizing. They let go of Brogdon because they didn't want to pay him that much money. And he had some injuries a little bit, but they kept Brooke Lopez, who's a stretch five. Um, and they, they brought in his brother, Robin Lopez. Um, they brought in Giannis's brother, who I believe was with Dallas. Uh, and they brought back George Hill. So I think they've got some, some good players on the bench. I think they're pretty balanced across the board. Um, I think they do need to add another shooter. They brought in Wesley Matthews, who's a who's solid, but has never been the same after his um, ACL and Achilles injuries. Um, so I think they do need to add another shooter. But that's the best team in the East. Um, and then a close second is the 76ers. And then number one, the best team in the league, in the NBA, according to me, after free agency is the LA Clippers. I think I think they would be the they're definitely the best defensive team in the league. You have Pat Bev, who's a excellent three and D guy, can hit a jumper, great on ball defender, who's really stingy. Um you've got Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, who are two of the three best two way players in the league, um, with Clay Thompson in there as well. They're two of the best three. And then you have Montrezl Harrell, who is uh, just a scrappy player on offense and defense. I mean, that's four guys right there that are incre- like very well equipped to to guard uh, a lot of positions on the floor. I mean, Pat Pat Bev was guarding Kevin Durant in the playoffs last year, and he's a point guard. So, um, I think that's a those are four guys that can really guard most positions. I mean, Montrez Harrell was you know, switching on pick and rolls and guarding point guards at the top of the key. So they're very versatile on defense, can guard a lot of positions. Um, Lou Williams coming off the bench is going to give them a great scoring punch. And of course, Kawhi and Paul George are terrific offensive players, uh, just as good as they are defensive players. And I just think that that's a good duo. Um, it's not the best duo, but it's a great duo with great supporting pieces who can play tremendous defense and also hit a shot uh, from the outside. And they have the six man of the year, like the 12 time six man of the year, it seems like in Lou Williams. So I just think that's the best team in the Western Conference. I think you could maybe s- switch around those top three um, a little bit. A lot of people may think the Lakers are the best team or the Bucks are the best team. Or maybe it's completely different in a lot of people's eyes. But I've got the Clippers at one. Um, they are the best team in the NBA after free agency for me, the Ford food chain. Um, so that's enough basketball talk. Um, I want to shift to Wimbledon. Um, we had the Wimbledon final uh, for both the men and women. Uh, this past Sunday, really just actually we had the women's final on Saturday, the men's final on Sunday. Um, my predictions were Halep, and then I said that Djokovic had the edge over Federer. Um, but the Wimbledon final on Saturday with the women, I really, or actually I didn't predict Halep. I predicted William, Serena Williams. My fault. Um, don't want to act like I'm a master predictor because I, I, I just mis misstated what I said before I predicted Serena Williams. Um, 
Simona Halep actually won in straight sets, uh, pretty much dominated Serena Williams, um, was getting to every ball. It was very reminiscent of last year's Wimbledon final between Serena Williams and Angelique Kerber. Um, Angelique Kerber was flying all around the court, getting to every ball, tremendous defense, and Serena just couldn't get the ball by her. And that was the same this year with Simona Halep, getting to every ball. And she's a great clay court player. That's her only other major victory is the French Open. And the the French, it's a slower court surface, and um, but you can slide really well on it, and it really benefits great movers. Um, and so grass, can't really slide on grass, and I would say it's a little more difficult to move on, but Simona Halep is a great mobile player. And she just got to every ball. I mean, she just really had an answer for every shot Serena threw at her and and Halep is a one time now it's her first Wimbledon and she's a two time Grand Slam champion and I mean it was just her day Uh, Serena Williams didn't play bad it was just Simona Halep just played out of her mind and just got to every ball on a difficult core surface to move on um and she just played fantastic. And you just really got to put uh, tip your hat to her. Um, and I think a lot of people believe that Serena Williams just isn't the same player and isn't going to win one again. She's competing in the Wimbledon final for the second year in a row. She just lost in the U.S. Open final to Naomi Osaka. She's getting to Grand Slam finals at the age of 36, 37 years old. I mean... What more can you ask? I mean, she's getting there. It would be one thing if she's making it to the the round of 16 or the quarters, but she's making it to Grand Slam finals. She's made it to the, uh, I think, three of the last four Grand Slam finals. I, I don't know what else you can ask uh, from a player, especially at her age. She's just playing fantastic, and she just hasn't been able to get over that hump. Uh, like Angelique Kerber played out of her mind last year's Wimbledon. Naomi Osaka played out of her mind in the U.S. Open final. And Simona Halep played out of her mind. It seems like just every player is playing at their best, playing their best match ever when they play Serena. And that speaks to how good Serena is, I think. And it just wasn't her day. And a lot of people are going to bash her for that, but she's in a she's in a final I don't know what more you can ask. And I think she's knocking on the door of a, of her 24th major tying, um, for the lead, uh, in women's history. She's right there and she just hasn't, she just hasn't gotten over that hump. And every time she gets to a final, she's playing against a player who is about to play their best match of their career. There's not much more you can ask. (laughs) Um, Serena Williams, I think, will win another major. She's competing in the finals right now, and she'll get there. Um, But I think people just got to lay off of her a little bit. Um, And I think it's a very similar... uh, It's very similar to the men's final. Um, I said that Djokovic had the edge, and Djokovic did end up winning in five sets. I think it it was probably the best match that I've ever watched live. 
um, because I never watched the the Federer Nadal 08 Wimbledon final. I was I was really I was 11 years younger, wasn't super into tennis at that time, and really didn't watch that match properly until a couple years. Once I hit, once I became a teenager, that's when I re- watched the match for the first time on YouTube, and really appreciated what it was. And I've watched it a million times since, and I love that match. Um, but the best match I've seen live on TV was this Djokovic versus Federer match on Sunday. It was terrific. Um, I do have problems with it though. Because after last year's Wimbledon semifinal between John Isner and Kevin Anderson that went to um, 50 games in the final f- set, in the fifth set, where Kevin Anderson won 26-24 to 24 after just hours upon hours of playing, um, they decided to institute a fifth set tiebreak to eliminate marathon matches, to keep matches from getting too long. But I think they made a mistake with that because they did it for all rounds of a tournament and they should have excluded it from the final. Because the final, having it, having a marathon match in the final doesn't ruin the tournament. It makes it better. Having a marathon match in the semifinal round does ruin the tournament because Kevin Anderson, after he beat Isner, he played Djokovic. What, I mean, what was he going to set forth against Djokovic for being honest? He, he was out of gas. And that's not a knock against Kevin Anderson, but he played the match of his life against John Isner. And he just had nothing left against Djokovic. And that's why it wasn't the best of matches. It was great effort, but there was just nothing he could do because he was too gassed. Um, And that's why it's a problem in earlier rounds. But to do it in a final where it's not affecting anything, it's not going to affect future matches because that is the final match. I think it was dumb. Um... I guess I suppose I should give a little recap so you know what I'm talking about. Djokovic won the first set in a tiebreak, 7-6, 7-3. I believe it was 7-5 um, in the first set. Federer made a couple mistakes late, allowed him to take this, allowed Djokovic to take the set. Second set went 6-1 to uh, Federer, dominated the set, and Djokovic seemed to check out mentally. Third set went to a tiebreak again where Djokovic won. Uh, fourth set, Dominated by Federer again. Um, got two breaks on Djokovic. Djokovic got one of them back late, but Federer was able to close out the set easily. And then in the fifth set, Djokovic broke Federer early on. Federer broke back the very next game. They went, I think, all the way to eight all until Federer broke again. Had two championship points at 40-15. Lost both of them. Um, although one of them really, it wasn't on him. It was just a great winner by jo- by Djokovic. Great passing shot. The first uh, first point at forty fifteen, Federer hit a um, inside out forehand wide, and then the other one, Federer creeped into the net, and Djokovic hit a, an amazing passing shot to put it at dues, and then Djokovic won the game. And then it went all the way to 12-all, where it went to a tiebreak. And Djokovic won the tiebreak 7-3. I think that was a, that's a terrible way to end a Wimbledon final. I think it's terrible, and especially a great match like that. Um, because I don't think tiebreaks are representative of who the better player is. It just doesn't prove who the better player is. Because it's, it's called a tiebreak for a reason. 
Um, both players have been so good that you have to figure out a way to settle it. And that wasn't the correct way to do it in a Wimbledon final. It's fine in early sets, but not in the fifth set. You're all the way to 12 all. You might as well keep going. I mean, who cares? That was awesome to watch. Um, I just, Federer to me was the better player that day. I thought he played much better. He had, uh, he had more winners and that's the thing. A lot of people bashed Federer for losing because he had a ton of unforced errors. Um, Federer won more games. He hit more winners. He had less unforced errors and he won more points. He was by and large, the better player throughout the entirety of the match won at least six games in each set. And Djokovic won one game in the second and, I believe, four games in the fourth. Federer was better for most of the day than Djokovic. And Djokovic won won his fifth Wimbledon title because a few points went his way in a tiebreak. Tiebreaks are not representative of who the better player is. I'm sorry. Like if if Djokovic would have won in straight sets in three tiebreaks, that doesn't prove to me that Djokovic is better than Federer. I think Federer played the better match. Federer was the better player, and Federer right now is a better player than Djokovic is at age 37 and Djokovic at age 32. I understand people are going to say Federer had two championship points on his racket. He was serving for the for the uh, silver gilt cup, and he. Let it go. I agree. He should have won. He absolutely should have beaten Djokovic and should have won one of those two points, or at least should have just, after it got to do, should have found a way to get it done. He should have, and I agree with you. But it was still going. Like, it wasn't like Federer lost that game and then the match was over. Uh, It wasn't like he needed that game to stay in it. He, it was, it was even at that point. Um, and that just showed why that match needed to continue to go on because someone was going to break through eventually. Uh, like a tie break is not enough to prove who the better player was on that day. I think, I think that rule needs to be changed. I think it was terrible for, especially at Wimbledon to do that. Uh, the most prestigious event in sports, in my opinion, Certainly the most prestigious event in professional tennis. That was a bad way to end a Wimbledon final. And it left a bad taste in my mouth. And I just felt like Federer was slighted that day. I felt like that was Federer's match. Yes, he should have won it on his service game. But when he lost, it was still even. It was still even. And to just kind of force it to end when it wasn't ready to end. And a couple points just don't go Federer's way because there's more than just a couple points in a game. Like, I just don't think that that was the right thing to do for a final in a Grand Slam, especially at Wimbledon. Federer, I think, was the better player that day. He had more winners, less unforced errors, more points scored, excuse me, more games won. He was the better player that day. And he lost because 
the the ATP tour committee wanted to put a fifth set tie break um, in Grand Slams, and they should have kept it off the final. It's unfortunate. And I'm not saying Djokovic didn't uh, didn't deserve to win because he played a fantastic match as well. Like both of them were great. I thought Federer was better, but Djokovic played good as well. And I just I think the wrong player won. And I think you could tell too. I think you could tell by the crowd reaction at the end. I don't think the cheers would have been as loud for. I don't think they were as loud for Djokovic as they would have been for Federer. I think Federer is everything that tennis fans want in a tennis player. Plays the right way. Immensely talented. Has all the flair. But is extremely humble. And Djokovic, I think, is pretty much the same, except he's not extremely humble. Um, Kind of cocky and arrogant. And wants to be loved by fans, especially at Wimbledon, but he will, he will never live up to the reputation of Roger Federer. And I know it seems like I'm bashing Djokovic here, but all in all, just in short, I think the wrong player won the match. I think Federer was the better player that day. And I just think it was unfortunate. I, I don't think there should be tiebreaker, fifth set tiebreakers in the final of Grand Slams, but there should be in earlier rounds to prevent um, fatigue. Um, but I don't know. It's it's certainly something that I could talk about all day long. Um, but we'll move on. Um, so last week or maybe a couple weeks ago, Zeke met with the commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell, about his incident in Las Vegas a couple months back where he pushed a security guard. Um, no charges were filed, but he uh, it's stuff that can come up in the conversation of violating the NFL's personal conduct policy can lead to suspension, things like that. And I didn't talk about it a couple weeks ago because nothing came of it. Zeke wasn't going to be suspended. And it just seemed like something, oh, we could just move move past it. But now after that happened... That security guard pressed charges pressed charges against Zeke, and so now the NFL may look back into it and suspend Ezekiel Elliott. And I think this this leads me this makes me uh, increasingly favor um, getting rid of Ezekiel Elliott uh, from the Cowboys' standpoint. Um, either by way of trade or by just letting him walk when his contract run run uh, just expires after next season, his rookie deal runs out, um, and just letting him walk to another team. Um, the guy's probably the best pro running back in the league, um, which which is why it would be tough to do. But a guy who seems to run into problems every season, one way or another, and uh, it just seems like he's always on the chopping block for a suspension. And I just don't know if he's going to be worth that kind of money. It's like $17 million, which is presumably what he would want on his new deal. 
because we saw what happened to Todd Gurley when he got his money. He disappeared. Um, and so that's one fear that I have about Ezekiel Elliott, that he'll just kind of disappear. But also, he's too unpredictable maturity-wise. Um, I don't know what he's going to get into. And so I would rather trade him or just let him walk. And you drafted two nice running backs in the draft, Tony Pollard from Memphis, who is an Alvin Kamara prototype. I don't think he's this, he's not going to be as good as Alvin Kamara or Kamara or Kamara, however you say his last name. But I think he can be a solid player uh, receiving out of the backfield and can be a nice runner between the tackles as well. And then Mike Weber from Ohio State, I think, is an excellent runner between the tackles. Somehow slept to, or slipped to the seventh round. I thought he was a third or fourth round back, um, and he slipped all the way to the seventh. I don't know if that's for health concerns or what have you. I know he did have surgery, I believe, on his ankle, or maybe it was his knee. But I think he's an excellent runner between the tackles. He proved that at Ohio State. I would roll with those two going into the season if if I had to. If it was either um, pay Zeke and deal with all the issues or roll with the two young kids who are solid, I would roll with the two young kids that are solid. Um, but I don't know. We'll see if the NFL wants to suspend him. If they do, if they do suspend him, I think it would make the decision really easy. Chop Zeke, roll with Tony Tony Pollard and Mike Weber. And then finally, um, the Madden 20 ratings came out uh, for the for the new video game that's going to be coming out um, in a couple months. Um, and so I wanted to kind of go over them a little bit. I think it's really interesting, especially from the quarterback's perspective, but I want to look at... Um, just the 99s right now and see who what players are 99 overall um right now I believe there's only four or five players that are rated 99 overall um we have Aaron Donald from the Rams who's 99 which I agree DeAndre Hopkins from the um Houston Texans is 99 overall, and they gave him like 99 uh, jumping, 99 catch, 99 uh, route running. Um, they gave him a lot of 99 attributes. Um, Cleo Mack from the Bears is 99. Bobby Wagner from the Seahawks is 99. That's a little high for me on Bobby Wagner, but that's okay. Um, and that's it. And then Antonio Brown's a 98. Um, and then you go down from there. Um, I mostly agree with that. I would probably have put in Bobby Wagner around a 98 or 97, but that's fine. Um, I don't hate it. I think that's pretty spot on for the most part. Um, but I want to look at the quarterbacks because there's been a lot of heat being thrown out at quarterbacks. Also, I heard Demarcus Lawrence had it. He was rated 89. Um, and he's been one of the leading sack leaders leading sack leaders. That's very redundant. Um, one of the league leaders in sacks um, for the last several seasons, and he was rated at 89. I would probably put him at like 95, 96, honestly. Um, but I want to look at quarterbacks. 
So let me look at this here. Let me filter the database that they have on easports.com. Um, so quarterbacks, they have Patrick Mahomes at 97, which makes a lot of sense. He was the MVP, 50 touchdowns, 5,000 yards, cover of Madden 20. Makes sense. I don't hate it. Tom Brady at 96. That's fair. Uh, I don't disagree with that either. He's, super, he's the reigning Super Bowl champ. He's the GOAT. Um, Phillip Rivers at 94. Drew Brees, 92. Andrew Luck, 92. Russell Wilson, 91. Aaron Rodgers, 90. Matt Ryan, 89. Ben Roethlisberger, 85. So a big drop off. Jared Goff, 84. Or actually, sorry, Cam Newton, 84. Jared Goff, 83. Baker Mayfield, 83. Deshaun Watson, 82. Carson Wentz, 82. Kirk Cousins, 81. And Dak Prescott, 81. Those are the top 16 quarterbacks. Um, I don't really hate much with this. Um, I do like that Phillip Rivers is getting some respect and he's a 94. Um, Drew Brees, I think, would be a little higher overall. Maybe 93, 94. Russell Wilson, I think, certainly should be a higher overall. Um, Aaron Rodgers at 90. A lot of people think that he should be like 96, 97 overall. Which, talent-wise, he may be. But here's the deal. I mean, he's injury-prone. Extremely injury-prone. Um, and I know they don't factor this into games and stuff. But he he's not coachable. And he doesn't. He just doesn't deal well. He's, he's just not a great ego. He's got too much of an ego um, is what I'm trying to say. Um, but the, really the main idea with him being a 90 overall is he's injury prone. It just it is what it is. Um, ben, ben Roethlisberger I think should be higher than an 85. I think he's more of an 89 kind of guy. Um, I think he's really talented. And although I'm, I hate the Steelers, Big Ben's good. Like, I can't deny that. Um, Cam Newton, 84. I think that's fine because um, he's not the same player as he was a couple years ago. Um, Jared Goff and Baker Mayfield both at 83. I'm fine with it. Deshaun Watson, I think, certainly should be higher than 82. Um, he should be like an 86 kind of guy because I think he's just, I think he's really good. He just needs a better offensive line around him. Um, Carson Wentz at 82, I think is certainly an under, like that's really low as well. I I would have him probably 86, 87 with Deshaun Watson. I know he's injury prone and that's the reason why. And he's never, he hasn't completed a season. Um, which is why I want to see him complete a season before I'm actually really sold on him. But talent wise, he is really good. Um, and he certainly should be higher than 82, but I, I think I understand why they did it, if that is the reason. Kirk Cousins at 81 is fine. Dak Prescott, I think that's I think that's low at 81. I think he's more of an 84 kind of guy. Very dependable, great leader, which I know they don't really factor leadership into this game, but um, but great awareness, um, which they have his awareness at 83, which I think is low. That's kind of disrespectful, but, and a super durable guy too. Like he runs around a lot, takes a lot of hits and he's solid and he wins games. Um, so I think that's low too. But other than that, other than some of the guys at the bottom of that 16, I don't really hate this list and I actually really like it. And like, if you were asking me one, if you're going to ask me a couple guys, um, who I would build around a couple quarterbacks that I would build around my future. Um, 
And we'll call this, how about a new segment? How about a new segment that I just came up with just now? We'll call it, I don't know, Will's Build or like Will's Wall. How about that? Will's Wall or something like that where like it's just like players we would build around or things like that. Like build your franchise around, whether it be for football, basketball, baseball, things like that. Will's Wall or something like that. I don't know. I kind of like it. Maybe you need to work on the name a little bit. Give me suggestions. But court five quarterbacks out of the 16 that I would build around, I would build around Patrick Mahomes, um, Andrew Luck, although his injury kind of concerns me, but I think he's back. Um, Baker Mayfield, to me, has a little bit of a maturity issue. But I think Dak Prescott would be one of them. Deshaun Watson would be one of them. That's four. Um, and then Russell Wilson. Did I say Russell Wilson? I don't know if I said Russell Wilson. Let me count back again. Patrick Mahomes, um, Andrew Luck, Russell Wilson, um, Deshaun Watson, and Dak Prescott. Those would be my five on that list. Um, Carson Wentz is six, borderline six, because of his injuries. He's never completed a full season. But those would be my five right there. That's That'll be a segment. Maybe I'll work on the on the name. I don't know if Will's Wall or Will's Build or I don't know. I don't know. I just came up with it. See how well received it is, I guess. <laughs> um, but anyways, I think I think that's it for today's episode. Done a lot of just great topics for today. It was awesome. Good stuff. Um, be sure to uh, follow my podcast page on Twitter at the Will Ford Show. I uploaded the the cover art and stuff like that in my profile picture. So definitely check that out if you haven't. Um, follow me on Facebook, The Will Ford Show. Uh, make sure you rate and review the show on iTunes. You can also search for it on Apple Podcasts. And then like and comment on SoundCloud. Follow me on there as well. And share this episode and share this podcast with everybody you know. Really trying to build the brand here um, and just reach a bigger audience. So thanks for sticking with me. Um, and hopefully you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you in episode 77. It's WFS. WFS.